I would like to start by reading a passage that's actually, we're not going to go through it in, in details, but I think it sets the tone of what we're going to be looking at, not only today, but in the upcoming series that we have. So if you could open your Bibles on Isaiah 40, verses 12 to 31. For those that are new, we use the ESV version. We have a little stack of those on the back if you want to follow in the same translation. Uh, sometimes when I quote verses by memory, I use the ERV. It's the Ed Rocha version. <laughs> so I try to avoid that because that could be a little dangerous. So we use the ESV, okay? And I, I, I preached a sermon on this chapter of Isaiah once and I called, the, the title of the sermon was The Size of God. And again, that's not today's sermon, but you're going to see why I called it that way. So Isaiah 40, 12 to 31. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure and weight the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offering. All the nations are nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then would you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told, from, told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root on the earth when he blows on them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why would you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases his strength. Even youth shall, fail, shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that your word be exposed today and that in our hearts we understand that you are Lord and everything we do should be for your glory, Lord, and our edification. For your glory and not ours, Lord, that's what we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have been with us for a while, you know we like to do expository preaching. We normally take uh, a full book of the Bible or a long session of a book and go through it in details, with some exceptions. I mean, we have around Christmas, uh, we normally have a special uh, series for that around Easter. We just ended last Sunday the summer orientation uh, session that was a little more topical. But what we favor, what we are normally inclined to do is to do expository preaching. In two weeks, when Pastor Chris is back from Seattle, uh, we'll start a series on the book of Daniel. Actually, we already have on the cafe the journals, for those that are not familiar with them. It's the Bible text on this side, and a lot of blank lines for you to take notes as you hear the message or you're doing your the devotions, uh, we would encourage you to get some of that. The book of Daniel is it's one of my favorites of the Bible. I mean, it's among my 66 favorite books of the Bible. Uh, but it's phenomenal. I mean, Daniel is in the Old Testament what Revelations is in the New Testament, right? I mean, it, it has a presentation of prophecy uh, that's like no other book in the, uh, in, the, in the Bible. And the first half of it has a story of uh, this man that choose to dignify the Lord, choose not to be contaminated when they are captives in, in Babylon. So it's, it's an inspiring book. Uh, we're going to get a ton of lessons out of it, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure. And also, this book, uh, Daniel refers to Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. That's the first time that appears on the Bible, and that ends up being the favorite way Jesus calls himself. It appears in all four Gospels, Jesus calling himself the Son of Man. And that's the first time that that appears in relation to Jesus Christ who will be in this, uh, in this book. Um, a few Sundays ago, last time I preached, I I went through the uh, chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. And one thing that I highlighted, I hope you guys will remember, was that Jesus was saying, they are in the, wor in the world, but not of the world. Okay? In the world, not of the world. We will see Daniel and his friends in Babylon, but not of Babylon. So that's going to be interesting because we live in modern-day Babylon. So... The idea here is, how can we live in modern-day Babylon being in it, but not of it? I'll do a 
pre-introduction today, when, when Pastor Chris selected the book of Daniel as uh, one of our next series, I volunteered to do a pre-introduction. I, I like doing that, uh, and I like the historical part, so I want to go through. So it's going to sound a little bit like a, a social uh, studies sixth grade class with Mrs. Williams. You remember when you, you had that? I Actually, I Googled it, and supposedly that's in which grade this part of world history is presented. So if you remember that, uh, you're, you're good. Uh, now, I'm going to go through the, the, the history up to the point of Daniel. So that may make the sermon a little long. And that reminded me of a story that I heard a long time ago that this pastor was famous for very long sermons. He would talk for an hour or more. And the church knew his favorite character was Daniel. So one day he was preaching and like started from Adam and Eve and he went on and on and on. Like one hour later in the sermon, he said, oh, Daniel, which place are we going to give Daniel? Don Baddock used to go to that church at the time. He stood up and said, I'll give my place. And he walked away because he was tired there. So I hope we don't get to that point today. I'll try to avoid that. You could see him do that, can't you? <laughs> okay. So again, we're going to fly over the biblical story so we can bring ourselves to the context in which the, the story of Daniel happened and hopefully it will help us understand it better when we go through it. In the 60s, when I was a very young child, uh, I used to watch a TV series that most of you are way too young to even remember the title. It was called The Time Tunnel. Uh, I don't know if anybody will remember, but it, this two guys would go into this tunnel and this secret project that the United States had, and they would randomly land in different places and different times in history, sometimes in the past, sometimes in the future. Actually, one of the ones that stuck with me the most is when they are in Jericho, when the, the walls are going to fall. There's another one, they were in the Alamo, another one when they are in Pearl Harbor, and it, it was very interesting, very intriguing uh, to me. And the the title, that the, the, the opening line that the voice of the narrator would say in the back was, two American scientists are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages. During the first experiment of America's greatest and most secret project, the time tunnel. Tony Newman and Doug Phillips now tumble helplessly towards a new fantastic adventure somewhere along the infinite corridors of time. So we're going to go through the corridors of time today and, and, and see if we uh, understand better. So if we go, and I put little sticky notes here on my Bible. I'm not going to read all those passages. Don't worry about that. Okay, Don, stick, stay there, please. Uh, but if we go to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, we see God creating man. And Paul explains it well, that Man was created for the praise of the glory of God. That was the objective from the beginning. Why do you exist? Because God created man for the praise of his glory. But man wanted to be like God. When Gary was uh, doing the prayer of confession of sins, we, in many cases, we worship ourselves. We put ourselves in God's place. And that's what very early in the history of humanity man did. They wanted to be 
like God. And they broke that intimate relationship they had with the creator. Now, that did not surprise God, okay? God is in control. He knew that was going to happen. And he already prepared and he promised at that very early beginning that he would send one that would smash the head of the serpent. God is in control. That refrain I will repeat several times. Hopefully you guys are going to be saying it with me. Then history continues. And we went through the origin series not too long ago. So you guys remember that beginning of the book of Genesis. We would go through Noah and we would get to Abraham. That's when God chooses his people. It's a, it's, a, it's a new beginning that God creates by choosing Abraham to be the father of a, a new nation. So Abraham is called, Abraham, when his name is changed, is called a friend of God. And with him, his son Isaac and Jacob, it's the beginning of that special uh, nation. And we see God is in control there with what happens in their lives. And eventually, out of Jacob, we would have his 12 sons that would become the 12 tribes of uh, Israel. Now, further down, as the family is growing, we have the story of Joseph when he is taken to Egypt, became second man to Pharaoh, and he, in the time of famine, he brings his family to Egypt. And from guests in Egypt, they become slaves in Egypt. And God is in control. God was working on that. God raises Moses to take the people back to the, to the promised land. So, uh, and when they go through the wilderness, God shows them his expectations for his people. He presents the, the law to the people. Yesterday we had this amazing race that uh, Seth was making reference in the beginning. And we had a set of rules that we had to follow for the competition. Like we could not Google stuff and find the answers. We need to really find them. We should stay as a, as a team, not spread to be more uh, efficient. We had to be back precisely by 12 o'clock. It was a short list of rules. And honestly, most of us could not even keep those. So, uh, yeah, actually, a member of another team took a picture of me not with my team. <laughs> right, Mike? And he wanted to use that in case our team was going to win uh, to disqualify us. We were in sixth place out of eight, so he didn't need to use that weapon against us. Um, anyhow, God gives the, the law, but to a degree, what the law does is proves that we cannot live a life that is perfectly acceptable to God. We need a redeemer to mend our relationship with God. So you see, throughout history, you see in every situation, God is in control. And his plan is pointing to Jesus Christ, the son of man that would come to complete the, the plan of God. Then we see the people entering the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, not this one, uh, and they take the land, and they are still organized by tribes primarily, the 12 tribes, they, they are allocated geographically, and there is a time that it's kind of a theocratic nation, organization, I mean, it's basically, they don't have a, a king, they have judges, 
that basically the people get around them in times of war or to make big decisions, but there was quite a bit of independence for each tribe. Uh, and we see, if you read the book of Judges, you'll see people get closer to God, they feel the blessings of God, then they go away and they are defeated and they are far from God. It comes, it keeps going back and forth, but you see that God is in control. Then, eventually, people want a king. People say, hey, every other nation around us have a king. They want a king. So, there is the, the time of the Kings, and we have the, the first period when Saul, David, and Solomon are king of the whole land, the whole uh, nation of uh, Israel there. Particularly David, he is called a man according to God's own heart. So he's probably in the whole Bible one of the best, if not the best, example of man being created for the praise of God's glory. I mean... David expresses that. I mean, you read the Psalms, you see how much he's praising God's glory. So uh, it's, it's a, the, the time of the most prosperity for the nation of Israel. They are becoming really a big nation. That's when they, Jerusalem is the capital of the kingdom. And Jerusalem is being built. They, 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 they built the, the palace of the king. Then they built the temple. So it's becoming a big city, a walled city. Uh, after Solomon's death, there is a split in the nation. The ten northern tribes follow Jeroboam. The two southern tribes follow Rehoboam. Okay, you don't need to remember those names, but it's important that the tribes divided. Judah and Benjamin becomes now Judah, the southern tribes, and the other ten becomes, or they keep the name Israel. Okay, that's important for what's coming up. So Israel, which was called, was the name for the whole nation, now is used for the, the ten northern tribes. And they establish a new capital in Samaria. Okay, so Israel, capital in Samaria, Judah, capital still in Jerusalem. And history keeps going, and particularly the ten northern tribes have a series of kings that they go the way of Jeroboam, not the way of David. If you guys are reading the, the, the Bible, you went through that portion recently in the Dual app that we have. Uh, so they start following the gods of the land, Baal, I mean, King Ahaz, uh, and others, I mean, that you, you have in that time. The, the ten northern tribes really stagger away from, from God. And comes the time that the Assyrians are now becoming the superpower of the time. They are taking over the other nations, and they, came, they come after Israel. And they take over Israel, not Judah. They take over Israel. And I'm going to make a detour here because I think it's important. And you're going to see how understanding biblical context helps you understand other things. Each empire had a slightly different way or a radically different way sometimes of domination. For example, we are used to seeing movies about the time of Jesus. Right? And we see the Romans were the big empire at that time, so it's much later than the 
the point we are today, but just so you can compare. The Jews are living relatively normal life. I mean, they can have their religion. They are in their cities, obviously, under the observation and the total control of this heavy army from the, the, the Romans. But they are in their land. They are doing their things. They just have to pay a ton of taxes, and the Roman army controls them. But it varies. The Assyrians, for example, they had a different strategy. When they took over a land, they would take a bunch of people from there, move to another part of their empire, take people from there, move to that area. By breaking the national identity of the, the, the era they, they, they conquered, they reduced tremendously the probability of a revolt. So, remember in the time of Jesus, how the Jews hated the Samaritans? Well, the, the Samaritans were the people from the, the, the Samaria uh, area. They were mutts. Basically, they were not Jews anymore. I mean, they had mixed with these other people that came. There was a blend of uh, religion and cultural things, language and, and everything, to the point that the Jews considered them as, as dogs. I mean, they really hated. And it starts here with the Assyrians taking over the ten northern tribes of, uh, of Israel. Okay, so that puts a little bit in context and makes us understand better. Um, I say that to a degree, I'm kind of a mutt like that because I'm 37.5% Italian, 25% Portuguese, 25% Spanish, and 12.5% other. Because there is a great grandfather that nobody knows where the guy came from. So anyhow, uh, so I probably would fit very well in some area there. So I, again, close that little Detour. I just wanted to use this to reinforce that you can see how uh, understanding biblical context make you understand better the message that uh, comes afterwards. Again, I said that the Assyrians took over Israel, but not Judah. God was still protecting Judah. They were not taken over and not destroyed. The ten northern tribes were completely wipe it away. I mean, those, they disappeared from history because the, their national identity was gone. So for another hundred and some years, the Judah survived as a nation uh, until the Babylonians take over as the world power by defeating the Assyrians. So now a, fa a familiar name, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebu. We'll call him Nebo, kind of a little closer. Takes over uh, the Assyrian Empire, and he then decides to come over after uh, Judah. And at this time in history, God is in control, and God allows the Babylonians to take over Jerusalem. Now, the Babylonians used a yet different style of domination. They took the best people. So you're going to see when we do start the book of Daniel that they come and they take the young, intelligent, educated, healthy, beautiful uh, people to, Babylonia, uh, to Babylon, to, to be integrated to their culture, to help them uh, to continue their dominance by having the best minds that they could. Yes, there are other waves of cap captives, 
taken there. We're not going to enter in all those uh, details today, but the initial method that they use, they leave behind the older, the sick, the, uh, the poor people, and they take the best of the best to Babylon. And that's when we get to the story of Daniel that we're going to be uh, studying soon. Daniel is taken to Babylon, but he never becomes of Babylon. Actually, he never comes back to Jerusalem. You're going to see that in history. He, he grows old in, in Babylon, very involved in the life of Babylon, but still faithful to the Lord that he had learned from his parents when he, he was in, uh, in, in Judah. So it's the best example that we have in the Bible of this man that stays faithful to God in a hostile uh, environment. By the way, that's out of all the books in the Bible, that's the book that has the most non-Jews speaking. Actually, basically only Daniel and his friends are Jews that appear prominently in this book. Everybody else, I mean, we're going to be reading, we're going to go to Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, uh, Darius, uh, all, all the other important characters of this book are not Jews. And the beautiful thing is, they are influenced by the presence of Daniel and others, and they end up worshiping the Lord from the most improbable mouth. You're going to hear words of praise of people there. So Daniel could definitely be called an influencer, a very popular word nowadays. When he was in Babylon, instead of being influenced by it, he was influencing it. So why is this relevant for us? I mean, I know it's a little boring to go to all this story, and I know the story of Daniel will motivate us, will inspire us, but I believe there is more than that. Why we're talking about something that happened about 2,500 years ago, it's not that different from where we are today. Again, last time I preached, I was insisting on that. We are in the world, but not of the world. Remember, I made the, the parallel. I said, when we came here, we had this resident alien card, and we had that feeling, okay, you are in the U.S., but not of the U.S., we are citizens now for many years, so now we feel we are, we are part of it. But we are in the world, but not of the world. Daniel was able to stay uncontaminated. How are we doing in modern-day Babylon? I like the way Paul captures it in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. It's interesting, the Jews were captive in Babylon, in Babylon for 70 years. Some stayed a little longer, depends on which wave they came back. But to a degree, we're going to be in modern-day Babylon 70, 80 years here. And the expectation is that we be an influence on it, not be influenced by it. Um, we live in a society that worships creation more than the creator, 
right? I mean, uh, when Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent, it was, well, you can be like God if you eat these because then you understand good and evil. Well, maybe nowadays it's not a serpent. Maybe it's a beautiful woman on a L'Oreal commercial saying, you are worth it. And putting you on the throne in the first place, saying, it's, that's it, it's, it's for you. And honestly, if you observe your life, you will catch yourself putting yourself on the throne on the first place, the place where God should be. I, this week, as I was thinking about temptation and I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking, I cannot be there to make a sermon that I look good. That's not the objective. I'd rather stumble, stutter, fall on my face here on the stage, but the message be captured by you guys, be understood to your hearts. But honestly, I'm preparing. I want to do a good job. And the temptation is to work hard, to look good, look proper doing it. And that can't be. The message is what matters, not the messenger. So again, we, we, we are tempted to put things that don't belong to, to the first place in our lives. What is it in your case? Is it maybe your career, your spouse, the kids, yourself, an addiction that you have? Who's your king? Who are you putting in the throne? The one that controls history, that controls everything, that deserves the glory. We read Isaiah. I mean, look at the size of God. I mean, we're little ones here. He belongs to the throne, not us. So in Babylon or of Babylon as we live our lives? Paul again puts in a, in a perfect way. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh, that may be hard sometimes. It's hard many times to understand that the will of God, the way things are going in our life are good, acceptable, and perfect. In many cases, we can't see it. We can't see that the will of God is, is that. I was talking to a friend and I said, imagine Mary watching Jesus being put on the cross. He needed, that was an integral part, integral part of God's plan that needed to happen. Now, it would not be easy to be there next to Mary and say, don't worry, God's in control. He's doing that, but that's his plan. Well, She's hurting. That wouldn't be easy. And in many cases, we're going through those situations that we don't understand why God is doing something a certain way. Uh, and again, I didn't stop in the moments of the history that I touched uh, this morning. But in many cases, you could easily stop and say, hey, I'm watching this thing happening. Why is God allowing this or causing this? I can't understand, but obviously when you are distant and you look at the whole picture, it becomes more clear. When you are inside it, it's very difficult. I heard one man saying once that uh, you want to know about the water, don't ask the fish. 
<laughs> when you're inside a problem, it may be the most difficult. So at this point, we have to, by faith, accept that God's will is good, perfect, and acceptable. And we should be remembering that when we look at all this, that God is in control. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you that we had the opportunity to open your word this morning to prepare our hearts for our study on the book of Daniel and the beautiful ways your name was glorified by his life, Lord. And we want to ask you that we want to glorify your name with our lives. We, we want to honor your name the way we live in our modern-day Babylon, Lord. Please give us the strength, uh, give us the wisdom to live in a way that pleases you, Lord. That your Holy Spirit may be guiding us and that we allow him to guide our lives, uh, Lord, for your glory, for the praise of your glory. Amen.